This week's episode is sponsored by Custos. Custos is a podcast hosting platform that helps you grow your audience through public podcasts and offer exclusive content through private ones. The WP Mayor podcast is actually hosted on Custos and a whole process has been great from the very start. Check them out at custos.com. This week's episode is also sponsored by Translate Press. Translate Press lets you translate all your site content directly from the front end using a visual translation interface. You can translate everything you see from standard text to more advanced elements like forms, sliders, images, WooCommerce products, and more. You can either translate everything manually or use the built-in automatic translation to have everything translated instantly. Try TranslatePress, the easiest way to translate your WordPress site. Hi, this is Gabby Galea and welcome to the WP Mirror podcast. In this week's episode, Mark and I speak with Kyle Maurer from Santos. It's important to note that at the time of recording, Santos still hadn't been acquired by Awesome Motive. In this episode, we discuss general people operations, career progression frameworks, the best way to handle compensation, and organization hierarchy. Hi, Kyle. It's nice to meet you. Hey, Gabby. It's nice to meet you as well. Thank you for having me on the show. It's great to have you on. Today, we're also joined by Mark. Hi, Gabby. Hi, guys. I'm glad to be here, and um, I'm looking forward to the discussion with Kyle, actually. Yeah, so I'm really excited about your show. The WP Mayor podcast is a pretty exciting new introduction into the podcast scene for WordPress is pretty exciting. Yeah, um, I'm pretty excited too. We're going to be talking about general people operations. It's not something I handle like day to day, but I'm really interested in the topic and I've done a bit of research, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what, what you have to teach us today, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before we get started, maybe you can tell us a bit about who you are. I know you work for Sandhills, what you do for the company and how you help the team and the company itself grow. Okay. Hey, yeah. Happy to. I'm the director of operations at Sandhills Development. We're a plugin company here and we have a handful of different products. Uh, we're mostly WordPress plugin brands like Easy Digital Downloads, Affiliate WP, and so on. And I've been with the company for a, a while, full time for four for just a little maybe four and a half years or so and uh, have served in a variety of different roles but currently director of operations is my primary function but also this summer i've been serving an additional role as the product manager for easy digital downloads so that's something i've immersed myself in quite a bit uh, this year and i've had a lot of uh, actually interesting conversations with mark uh, about about the topic too and as the operations director, my responsibilities are to help uh, at the end of the day, make this company function as efficiently as possible and be a fulfilling place for our team to work. I have invested a lot of time into making sure that we have frameworks for growth for employees that we uh, focus on developing a, a positive culture here. We hire the right people and we help give them opportunities to do what they want with their careers and, and make this a, a, a rewarding place to continue working long-term. So I work on like a culture stuff, hiring stuff, um, compensation, benefits, things of that nature, anything that our team needs to, to be happy and productive. So you touched on frameworks there for a minute. Can we get into that? I mean, I've, I've, I, I know a bit about career progression frameworks, but not that much. Um, I know it's like, it's very good for employees to have, um, an idea of all the roles that they can get to and progress to. And it's supposedly very, very good for, for them to not feel stagnated in their, in their role. So yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think that progression frameworks are a really, really valuable tool for organizations and maybe, maybe ironically underemphasized for small businesses like ours. I think one of the, one of the things that it seems to be the the mentality that a lot of us have as small business owners that a career progression framework is is something that is appropriate for larger institutions. This is like maybe a corporate thing, you know. Maybe maybe we'll get to a certain level one day where that sort of thing applies when we need to lay out frameworks for growth and and clear paths for ascension for everyone in our company. The reason this is ironic is because it it is career progression frameworks are one of the most effective, the most proven and effective tools that we have for attracting talent, for developing our talent and for retaining that talent. 
So these frameworks really are appealing to people looking for a new job. They want to see what opportunities exist within an organization. So it's amazing for us to have something like that to get the good people that we need. It's important for motivating people to continue to grow and giving them the clear steps that they need uh, to rise within your small company and to keep people around, which is where it's critical for small businesses because the turnover just hurts us, hurts us really bad. And uh, when we're small, we need to do everything that we can to get the right people in our organization. We can't really afford to keep hiring the wrong people consistently. We need those people to step up and take responsibility for stuff. And we really need those people to stay and not find ourselves with a revolving door of employees. Those are things that will just kill small businesses. And so since this is one of the most effective ways for uh, improving in all of those areas, it's something that I find to be a little, a little underappreciated at the small business level. Yeah, I know we've, I mean, here at WP Mayer, we have a sort of idea of, of the a progression framework, but it's not really, it's not really, um, how can I say, how can I put this? It's not really uh, defined. And yeah, I, I know a lot of small businesses have this issue and it is sort of something that's more associated with the corporate, you know, type of business. Yeah, but I, I, I do understand how important it is for especially those three um, things that you said, so attracting, developing um, an employee and also then keeping them there. So what would you do then if you've got a employee who doesn't really want to ask or doesn't aspire to have a managerial role or a leadership role, but then still wants to progress within that um, role that they've got? Yeah. And and even to step step back just a little bit to hit on what you're what you're talking about, another challenge that we have in these conversations is this this idea that you know if you don't have one uh, like a, a full comprehensive framework for growth for everyone that maybe it, it's it's not what it should be. But really, we need to think about frameworks as as something that are as things that are alive and and continue to evolve as the company evolves. And so for even very, very small organizations of just a few people, I recommend that you don't need to have a, a framework that is as comprehensive as the one that's at Microsoft. You should have something that is just the, a very, very basic description of whatever the next steps are. Maybe all you have is a single developer on staff. What is it going to take for that developer to earn a senior developer title? simple steps, like how long do you expect them to work for you? Or what things do you expect them to be responsible for? A few sentences written somewhere that they can access. And that's enough. You have a career progression framework that suits you at that stage of your business. And then as the company grows, you expand on that to be more inclusive of more titles and have more detail for different dimensions of the jobs. But it's something that should be constantly evolving as the organization grows. So it's never, ever really done. Uh, but it is going to suit whatever stage you're in. Now, going back to the question that you asked about different paths that people can take and, and the reality that not all people are going to end up being managers. Not everybody wants to and not everybody needs to manage other humans. Now, it's not just about climbing ladders. They, they, there are definitely ways for people to grow and ascend. There should be different paths or streams as other people call them. Now, while people management is very common and natural step upwards, it's not the only way to progress. Instead, employees can take what I tend to refer to as specialist paths. Uh, they can ascend by developing very high level expertise in a specific discipline to the point where they can function as a valued advisor to company decision makers and, and assist in solving very complex problems. So you're, you're rising by increasing the complexity of the problems that you're able to solve and increasing the level of expertise that you have in a given domain. They can also take over the management of specific functions, like areas of responsibility or projects as well, even if they don't involve people management. I think this, this ties in as well with sort of the, the growth pains of small companies. So even looking at ourselves, um, we're still a small team. Currently, actually, just a single developer as we're hiring more developers. And this, this kind of idea comes into play there because 
the existing developer is hired as just a developer and they would think if there's one or two people, how am I going to progress in this company? Sort of it needs to grow exponentially for me to have the opportunity to be on top of even more people potentially sort of with, the, with the traditional vertical hierarchy. But if you go from developer to senior developer, like you mentioned, you can then start covering other areas, potentially take care of the technical side of all website management within the company, for example. So you go more, you go further than just developing a single product. You start contributing to the multiple areas within the company that typically exist in most organizations. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, and this is, this is where, you know, you're, you're the business owner and you can kind of envision that Mark, like you have a lot of experience and you have a team and you have, you have kind of this, this, your imagination, you know, you have, you have a vision for what the company could be. The the challenge that we face is most employees, they, they're not mind readers. They can't tap into your vision. They don't have that imagination about the future. And so before we had a framework, I would talk to employees and ask them what, they envision for the future like what what does career growth look like for them what what do they want to achieve and and they just can't see it you know i'll talk to somebody in support for example and they would say well you know if i want to make more money the only possibilities for me are i learn how to code and become a developer because developer salaries are a premium these days or my boss the manager of support quits and i try and get her job or i go to another company and I'm sitting here thinking, of course, those are not the only possibilities. Absolutely not. But that's all you can see in your seat. You don't have the imagination or you're not tapped into the vision that we have for the growth of the company. I know that there's lots of opportunities for you to grow within your discipline to get higher, more prestigious titles, to become more specialized within this. I know that also the company is going to continue to grow. And as the team increases, we're going to need other like middle-level managers. And so you're not imagining all these potential scenarios. And and a lot of employees are left thinking, the only way for me to grow is to leave. Yeah, I think it puts a lot of pressure as well on the, on the leader or the manager, whoever is sort of leading this planning of the future of the company, the vision of the company of where it's going to lead. Just to, uh, how to get the message across to, to the employees or to the team members, because it's not always easy to explain this and the ideas in two years time or at a particular stage, we have this many more people in the structure changes in this way. We're launching new products. We're doing new things. And it's sort of ideas in midair. And for the individual who's actually within one particular role, it's hard to imagine how that's going to be implemented if they're used to working in a particular way. So getting that message across and there's almost a level of trust that there has to be between the employee and, and the owner or the CEO or whoever it is to understand and believe in the project that someone has set up for them and for the company as a whole. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's that's true. That trust is very important. At the same time, I think that that is, that is the job function of the company leader. Like that is, this is not like a, it's a nice thing to do. Like if you're the CEO, or whoever, whatever the title is for a leader at your company, your job is to communicate that vision, that vision to your team. And that is like the primary responsibility. You have to come up with the vision and you have to lay out the vision to your team and communicate it as clearly as possible. That's what your job is, not like number one priority. And uh, the more clear that message comes across to the team, the more effective they'll be at acting upon it. So it's like similar to how you said the the progression framework evolves over time. The same with the vision will evolve over time. Yeah. So it's important for the communication not just to be sort of a one-time first month you're in the company, we explain how things are going to work and then it's also going to be that way. Because in a year or two, <laughs> take, take last year, right? there was COVID, like things changed a lot in that time. There was certain oh, yeah. companies really grew, certain companies which ended up closing down. So there's a lot of things which can come into play that you don't expect so things change all the time and you have to keep on top of them and the team needs to be made aware that even with whatever's happening there are plans for the future there are contingency plans if things go wrong and everyone feels safe in whatever role they're in mm. you got it yeah i mean i've been mostly on the receiving end of this sort of conversation so i've always been the employee um being asked you know where do you want to see yourself in five years and yeah it's just a <laughs> bit of a struggle to to see where your where your path can can lead to, and it's not only in WordPress. I've worked in in other sectors, so it's it's a pretty common thing to have. And I felt I feel like 
some managers sort of look down on these um, uh, progression frameworks only because they're sort of attributed, like we said, to to larger companies. Yeah, I feel they're super important to have, especially for employees, even for employers to know, you know, where you're missing out on on certain people or expertise in that company. Exactly. So how would you start going about this? Is it just an, like you start with an Excel sheet, listing down your roles and then seeing where they can go to? Yeah, I've seen frameworks in so many different forms. You know, it was not that long ago, just basically a couple of years ago that I was tasked with putting something together for our team and didn't really know what a career progression framework was and just immersed myself in in the topic and and have looked at hundreds of them at this point and before developing our own and every company's is different this is one of those things that doesn't seem to be very standardized like we all completely reinvent the wheel and make our own framework from scratch i wonder if that'll ever change at some point but from what i've seen it's it's all over the place so i've seen career progression frameworks that are just big trello boards Uh, i've seen them authored in like github markdown files i've seen word docs and google spreadsheets and and uh you know custom web pages and just like everything that you can use to publish images and text on the web is used to make a framework out there there are even special apps out there that are designed to more or less handle this Um, but to get started I would not overthink the tool. That's, I guess, advice I give all, all the time, regardless of the question. But just like start typing in text into whatever your publishing platform is internally and try to describe in words what your expectations are for someone at whatever the next step might be and and prioritize whatever is most relevant at your company you know prioritize the roles that you have and the people who are looking to ascend describe it as concisely as you possibly can and that's what our framework is basically we we wrote a uh, a framework that uh has levels a series of levels for every different title but we wrote generic descriptions that are applicable across the organization so there's not a unique like level one description for every job title. There's one that works across the company. And it's really only a few sentences, essentially a paragraph for each level where we verbally described what we expect from a person at this level. If all of these sentences are true for you, then this is the level that you are. It's fairly straightforward. Mm -hmm. I guess this would be shared across the company. So there's no like every employee would know which uh, progression pod they can get to and it also I, can, I guess you can also switch i mean from one role to another right so it's, it's not only in your role that you can progress yeah yeah that, that would certainly be true yeah i mean we would be different we would be different levels you know like whatever my level is for director of operations is different level than my level as a product manager which is my secondary responsibility right now when, when you're setting up a framework for the first time for example taking you taking your um, your company as one example, do you come up with the descriptions and the levels yourself and just handle those yourself? Do you discuss them with company owners? Do you discuss them with the employees themselves as to where they see themselves now or where they see themselves in the future and then basing certain things on, on that? How do you usually make it work? Yeah, yeah. I'm a proponent of like trying to put things into practice as, as early as possible and let the, you know, let, let the results kind of speak for themselves and so for in in our case i authored everything and then put this to uh you know initially to like our our founder and then to top leaders of the company and then mostly to everyone who's a manager because the managers are the ones who have to use this on a day-to-day basis and so it's most important for them to understand how to use it. They're the ones who have to read the descriptions, evaluate someone's important performance and run it through this, this rubric that we've provided them and generate a number uh, or, or a title or something, whatever, however yours works, and then submit that to upper management or to, to me in operations and say, this is, this is the number that I think is appropriate. So it's, uh, 
it starts with me writing these descriptions. And in our case, we decided to go with, with, as I said, generic descriptions that are, that work across all titles. Many organizations don't do that. They have descriptions specific for every title. So there's a unique description of expectations for senior developer level one or director of technology level four. That's pretty labor intensive, especially if you have a lot of titles and it could happen that we evolve to a framework like that in the future. But for now, this is, this is working pretty well. And so then I provide these descriptions to the managers and say, try to come up with a number that you're really confident about based on these descriptions. And that becomes just an exercise. And when all the managers are able to come back consistently with a confident response for every direct report that they have, then it's working pretty well. When I have managers coming back and saying, I can't decide which level this person is at, then I keep working on the description a little bit more. I ask why, you know, like what is missing? Uh, why do you think that, you know, are, are there dimensions that are not included or there sentences that you're struggling to interpret correctly. And so I iterate on the descriptions based on the feedback I get from managers until everybody can come back with confident responses and say, these are all the numbers that I have. I think the more detailed descriptions per role, per level, that becomes even more important than at scale rather than smaller teams. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Then I guess the next step would be how to compensate any changes in title once an employee is progressing down one of these spots. I guess this is one of the most difficult things to do. I mean, I've never done it myself personally. I can only imagine. How do you go about applying a certain, do you, do you go for something like a multiplier effect or something whenever you skip to uh, progress to a new stage? What's, what's have, what has your experience been like? Yeah. This, this is this is another thing that everybody seems to kind of do in their own way, uh, but similar ways still in the end, where in almost in most cases some change in level uh, or title results in a change in pay. Now, what we've done is we have uh, uh, we we made a compensation system that connects to the career framework. And we've designed ours so that there are fixed salary amounts for every level within every job title. Now, as I said, all job titles of the company have six different levels. That's a number that we went with. This would seem not too few, not too many, but something that we can really work with. And so, for example, you could be a junior developer level four or a director of marketing level two. We share with the entire company what the salaries are for every level so that everyone knows exactly what they'll end up making if they earn level upgrades. And when they do earn those upgrades, we adjust their salary to the new baseline immediately. Those amounts are calculated by retrieving data from a collection of sources, averaging those numbers, auto-calculating a minimum and maximum range with the average at our midpoint, and then splitting that up into six different levels. Okay, so yeah, so this thing is shared across the company. Quite transparent, yeah. Not something um, that we, I, I guess most people aren't used to this sort of framework. Another thing is that I find that some smaller companies don't really give this change in salary with every step. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's more of a, it's more um, common within larger companies that, I mean, from my experience, I don't know if this is the case. Mark, I don't know if you want to <laughs> jump in here. <laughs> It, I think it does depend on the scale of the team as well, because taking us, for example, at this point in time, we're, we're expanding, we're growing the team and we're expanding into different areas. So we're hiring into roles that we've never had before. And there are people who, there are new people joining the company. And there's also people switching roles within the company itself. So when you're switching role, although it might seem like it's a, it's called promotion. So you're leveling up because the role is new, because Maybe your experience in that role is not at the level that someone new you'd bring in would be, would be at, for example, the salary won't necessarily increase substantially. So it won't be a sort of a leveling up in the same scale that if you had five people on the team and then there's people to, to keep moving up, up the ladder. So it does depend a bit on, on that for sure. That's true. I think certainly pay is 
more commonly linked to job growth than anything else, but it isn't always the only thing. Companies can attach other benefits which are motivating in their own right. And this actually can be quite interesting when, when, when done well. For example, first job title changes can be meaningful to employees uh, just on their own. Typically pay raises do come with vertical changes, but even if they don't, uh, going from say junior developer to senior developer, an example we keep using here, uh, that's a big step. That is a significant moment in an employee's career for those with high aspirations for themselves and, and who want to continue moving up in their career. The sequence of titles that they progress through really matters. Future employers like do look at that and, and it's not unusual to have questions asked like, why did it take you seven years to move up from junior to senior or explain why you worked as a CMO for this company and then a marketing coordinator at the next company. This is confusing stuff. So job titles really matter. Companies can also link privileges or responsibilities to specific levels in the organization. And this can be actually kind of interesting. You could have a rule for which levels get commit access, which levels attend strategy meetings, which levels attend leadership retreats, which levels can have subordinates, uh, which levels deliver reports, which levels get to fly business class, which levels get a company branded hoodie and so on. All these things you can bake into the framework and use as additional incentives for employees and also provide clarity. Like this is when such and such applies to you. So you don't have to ask about it and it's not going to be a judgment call or something subjective or there's no, not going to be any favoritism about this. It's going to happen at a specific point in your uh, tenure here. And uh, there can also even be other financial incentives beyond just simple pay raises. You could have different annual percentage raises based on levels. You could factor in levels when paying bonuses or profit shares. You could increase budgets for learning or travel based on levels. So many options besides just a salary bump. I think you can even add sort of budget, project budgets in a way. So if you have a new project and you have someone taking it on, they can progress to the level that they have control over a certain amount of money to invest in, in that particular area versus whatever they had before. True. True. Yeah. Gives them more sense of responsibility as well as sort of more control that is sort of making your way up in the leadership side of things without leading people, but you have sort of more control over the company's future. Sure. And this is really valuable because as, as Gary was alluding to, you know, pay is like the primary motivator for moving up in these levels. You know, we talked earlier about one of the reasons to have a framework like this is to motivate employees to grow, to continue to improve, to work on their flaws, to learn new skills, to get better at their job and help you more. And so we want to motivate them to do so. But in some cases, in, an increase in salary is not going to happen as a part of a level change or is not a motivator enough for someone. And we've had that in cases where, for example, for like legacy reasons, someone was paid higher than because their pay was set before we had a framework and now they're technically according to our framework they're overpaid and so an increase in level will not bump their salary uh because the base their new baseline is lower than their current or for other reasons you know you might acquire another brand and the pay that they come with is you're not going to cut their salary even though they're paid higher than your wages but sometimes you can't use salary increases as the only motivator to get employees to grow and a little creativity in this department can help. And also employees just love that clarity. They love not having to ask the questions or just use their imagination and wonder when will this happen for me and what do I need to do? You don't want to leave employees to <laughs> using their imagination. And they probably shouldn't, shouldn't even just phase progress on salary as that is just financial sort of okay, you're working a job to run a salary and to make money and to live comfortably. But if you're only doing a particular job or striving to get a promotion because you want $5,000 more a year, for example, it's just financial gain that you're going to get. You're not necessarily wanting to help the company more. So if you make the person feel more like it's part of the team, more like a part of the company, company's growth, company's future, mm -hmm. through all the methods we've discussed, that's going to be far more, far more beneficial to the company than just this person being happier because he's getting paid that much more. 100% agree. I guess it gets a bit tricky when you're um, 
hiring people who have come from another company, like you said, with a higher salary, and you really want them to to come, but their for example their their expertise is not at the level of someone who's already within the company itself. So, how strict would you be with these with these salaries um, attributed to each role? Is there space for a bit of change? Discretion. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a topic of popular debate, I think. And for company owners and uh, HR professionals and the like, this is the kind of thing that could start a lot of arguments. Like how much discretion is allowable uh, in these contexts. I'm generally it's so this is where we're just stepping into we're out of we're not in a textbook anymore we're just an opinion uh, and this is this is Kyle's personal opinion I believe that as little subjectivity as possible should be included in what is really like the most important of all topics this is this there's nothing more important than the pay the money for the employees. All the rest is gravy. This is the number one expense for the business. And this is everything to the employee. And there is no room for bias and for uh, unfairness and for mistakes and errors and so on. I'm generally of the mindset that it should be based on data. It should be as objective as possible. It should be the same across the board and no exceptions and this can be difficult and there are consequences of this but sometimes those consequences are acceptable one consequence is there are going to be people who don't end up fitting at your company if you take this stance and that's the reality if people want to make significantly more than the pay ranges that you have defined well i'm sorry you have to work somewhere else like that's just it there's no wiggle room here for us to say, well, we'll just make an exception because we really like you and we want to keep you and we'll work with you on that. Well, there's a lot of other companies out there willing to pay whatever it takes, a lot of bigger companies. It, it's a consequence that I think is worth living with. But in the end, you get a system that is fair and there aren't uh, ridiculous pay gaps and 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 everything is objective and reasonable and predictable and it works it also provides a level playing field for all all people on the team be it change um differences in gender race i mean you know you've got you don't have any bias there as well exactly and as i mean i think it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone at this point those are major problems in our industry in many industries but we know our industry this is a serious issue we're not, I mean, across the industry, we're not consistently paying people very fairly and we've got to do better. I think a key solution here is um, having uh, data-driven objective systems with no exceptions. I think the same applies to location as well, because we've had, we've seen many cases where people in certain countries are paid a certain amount, people in certain other countries are paid another different amount. And we've had that problem ourselves. So when, when hiring, especially developers, for example, you'll find someone brilliant, they, they love your company, they love your team, they, they, they love sort of everything that you're doing and they want to be part of the team, but they're demanding a salary which is more than you have planned, more than the company would afford. And you might think it's worth paying a bit more for this person because they have that much more experience, they have that much more higher skill level, for example. But even if you do that within a year or two, if you're going to try to expand the team further, then you're going to run into, into problems. So the team's not going to be happy, their colleagues are not going to be happy. You're going to have to adjust pays. If you're going to adjust pays, you're going to base it on, on that higher salary that you gave that person, or you're going to base it on what you're doing before. So then it's, it's not going to be worthwhile long term. So it'll be potentially a short term fix. But if you're trying to grow the team and try to keep everyone together, it's not going to work. It's really true. It's really true. We have to get past this point where we are rewarding so greatly the people who have this one skill, and that is negotiating for higher pay. That's a skill, a skill that some people have and many people don't. And it's a skill that is not technically a requirement for every job at your company. I don't really need everyone who does some, I don't know, write content writing for me or runs our system admin or something. I don't need them to have this skill. They're not better at their job because of having that skill. But across the workforce, 
they will make a lot more money if they have that skill. And that's just, that's just not going to work. We need to neutralize that. And I do everything I can to eliminate negotiation as a factor in these conversations. Yeah. I have been in situations where people would, or um, let's see, employers would say, give me the results and then we'll talk about it. So this sort of eliminates that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, isn't that so great as an employee to just wonder, use your imagination, <laughs> just imagine how that's going to go. I mean, I understand both sides of the story. I mean, you know, you, you need the results to to be able to to afford to um, to give you compensation or higher compensation. But then on the other hand, yeah, it's a bit tricky to, as the employee to give that data. Yeah, so progress is also tied to some sort of numbers in one way or another. So whether it's revenue generated, whether it's traffic increases, whether it's SEO improvements or whatever it is, those are tied also into your progression. That would be tied into the progression framework in terms of what levels you go up into, how you progress from uh, one role potentially to the next. So it's performance, but it's not solely performance. So that would be part of your progression and probably part of the descriptions of each level and part of the descriptions of each role would include what the expectations are in terms of the results that come from that. So it's not just a case of improving your skill level, but if you're improving your skill level and you're not implementing it in the right way and it's not resulting in any improvement for the company, then there's a bit of, it's all really balanced in terms of the progress that the individual is making. So the individual is improving the skill level and also helping the company grow in one way or another, whichever applies to the role that they're in, then that's the combination that's going to result in the quicker progression for that employee. I guess the, the salaries are revisited every so often and right, they're not fixed for a number of years. There's something that's continuously changing with time and as the company grows. Yeah, yeah, we revisit those. I mean, we, as I mentioned before, we, we get our data from what we believe are pretty reliable, trustworthy sources. And we update our data from those sources. Uh, at this point, we do it twice a year. And if any salaries go, any baselines go up higher than what anyone's get, getting paid, then they get an automatic raise in proportion to that. As a remote team, how do you handle that in terms of having people living in, in different countries and different costs of livings and so on? Is the data you collect something global or is it specific to certain areas? This is one of the key forks in the road that we all have to navigate. Do, are you going to be a company which comp which does factor in location when determining compensation or a company which does not? Uh, are you going to use a fixed location or a variable location? There, these This is a very divisive topic as well. And companies are all making their own choice on it. We have decided to use a fixed location for our compensation. And I understand the, uh, the argument for variable location. We've decided not to do that, though many, many companies do. Um, we strive for a system which is equitable and also simple. It is. It introduces a lot of complexity into your system when you begin sourcing data from a lot of different locations, uh, especially when those locations do not have equal data. And that can be challenging. You might be able to find a lot of data to support your figures for a big city, for New York City or something like that. But for someone who lives in a very small town in Kenya or, you know, even the town that I live in is a pretty small city. I'm not that close to a major city. You're looking at data sources that are not that reliable. Uh, you know, even, even the best salary surveys might have only a couple of entries at best for someone with my job title here. And that's not very trustworthy data. And so for reasons like these, we've come to the conclusion that it's best for us for now to use a fixed location where we can get reliable data for every job title in the company use that across the organization that we do have employees in a variety of different countries and all over the US. So the location we're using right now is Chicago. We were using a different city before that and we decided to upgrade to, to Chicago. Chicago has a higher cost of living than 
the location of every other employee in our, in our company. No one lives in a city with a higher cost of living than this base at this time. So there's no one who's in our current organization, somewhat by chance, but there's no one who's making less than they could if they worked for, you know, uh, some other company. And uh, this has given us highly reliable data because Chicago is a major city and there's no title that we can come up with where we can't get reliable figures. And it's made it so that everyone is getting paid fairly or well, like or uh, really well, uh, depending on where they live. And it's made the system pretty simple to navigate and use. I, I agree with that. We've done pretty much the same thing based on the data locally in Malta and going a bit around around Europe in certain cases. When I was not a leader at all, I was just an employee in the team. I remember seeing certain figures from companies even within our industry in terms of how they handled salaries. And with one company, I actually saw the entire salary uh, range that they have for their employees. And it was based on variable location. And that was actually off-putting as an employee to see someone's getting paid, for example, $3,000 more a year just because they chose to move city. That's like, why should they get paid more just because they decided to go somewhere where they're going to have to spend more? Why do I choose to go to, for example, Thailand, where there's a lower cost of living and enjoy my life in the by the sea, and I'm not going to pay the same amount as I would pay in California? Why do I get paid less just because I made that decision in my personal life? So you avoid that entire conflict. I mean, and when I said it introduces, you're absolutely right. When it introduces complexity, it really introduces complexity, mostly because people move. And if I've got a large team of 50 or 100 people and I'm having to keep track of every time anybody changes cities and adjust accordingly, adjust whatever their base is or their multiplier in the future or what their new baselines are going to be because they keep moving around, it gets kind of ridiculous. Definitely. And if someone wants to move to a more expensive city and they need to earn more to live there, then that's their decision to make. And that's their decision whether they want to continue working the way they are now or they want to move company just for that reason, and then you essentially have no control over what their future is, and it's their choice on a personal level. Yes. So I guess the the next thing I would ask you is how important are titles in an organization? Um, do you see any mistakes that companies make? Yeah. This is a funny topic to me and one that I enjoy. I think it's possible to overthink and even overemphasize titles in our industry. I more often um, see titles being handled too haphazardly. They really do matter and mishandling them can result in some serious consequences. And so there are, there are a few things that I see come up a bit. Some of those problems are like, there, there are three main problems. I'll try and break them down. The first is without commonly recognized titles, you can't do salary benchmarking, which we were just talking a little bit about before getting that data from those sources. If you don't have a title, you can't get a, a number. It's a requirement. Um, I'm a firm believer that compensation should be supported by data and done as objectively as possible. We talked about that to just minimize or eliminate inequities and unfairness. The In order for us to get comp data, though, we need clear titles. And this is the principal reason that using common standard titles for roles in your company is a really good idea. If you're making up your own titles, there will be no comp data available for you to check. Your employees who absolutely are researching uh, industry salaries uh, will be left guessing and you really don't ever want that. Again, uh, titles are required in order to have a fair compensation system. So now the second the second problem that I see is inflated titles, which hurt you, the business owner, and hurt employees. This it happens a lot, and it's a kind of classic small business blender. Many small businesses start handing out titles from the top down when they should be working from the bottom up. Uh, so the first person at the company who's leading the charge gets the CEO title and the first technical person is awarded the CTO title and whoever does most of the marketing becomes the CMO and so on. C-suite titles, as we know, they're the pinnacle. And since we're the people at the top of our little organization, we just use the titles, which we know are the highest. Uh, that's actually a really bad practice. He, 
there are a few reasons why. First, it's bad for employees to be put in a situation where there's almost no possibility for growth. They can't even dream of any kind of promotion within this company. And if they leave the company, they will almost certainly have to take a title which is less prestigious. And that's kind of a problem. Also, when you're a small business, you will not be able to afford to compete with the uh, entire job market on pay. You're more like more than likely going to end up with people with lofty bills, but sat on the extreme end of the industry's pay distribution. Um, so, given the difference between being an underpaid employee with a fancy title or a well-paid employee with lesser title, you'll have higher employee satisfaction with the latter. Make sense? And lastly, it does limit your options as the business owner. As your company continues to grow, you will constantly encounter new challenges and the business need will evolve. It is that your leaders may be a great fit with the team when it is people, but night might not be so great when the team is 25 or 75 people because everything is different. If you start with maxed out titles from the beginning, then you'll eventually be stuck in a situation uh, in which appointing new leaders becomes hard. Your CTO may have been great up until now, but at this point, you need someone with more experience, for example. Your, your only options are to effectively fire or demote the current CEO. But if you instead start with more modest titles and then rise up as the company grows, you give yourself options down the road. Uh, when the time comes and you need people with new skills and experience at the top, you can add another, another level up in the hierarchy. You can introduce this higher level title scheme and then either promote current employees or hire externally to fill those roles. And there's no awkwardness. And then the last problem, I mean, the last reason really that titles do matter is that organizations without clear title schemes are just confusing to navigate. Titles do communicate a lot. And that's both internally and externally. If your titles don't really make sense, then you'll have a lot of problems with people not knowing who to go to with their questions, important people being inadvertently left out of conversations they should be in, and just inefficient flows of communication. Definitely. I think Kopikabdi would agree that we, we somewhat struggle with this ourselves at this point because we, we are filling in new roles and we're not entirely sure exactly what that person is going to be responsible for long term. So we know what they're doing now. We don't understand what their progression is yet going forward because we don't know how the project would evolve. Be it a new product, be it a, a growing website, whatever it is. So it is a bit of a struggle to figure that out for each individual. But I definitely see the importance of having those roles set out, plan some way, and yet not necessarily always going for the high-end title just because you don't have anyone else to fill in sort of the lower titles in the commas. And we have seen even CEOs who demote themselves. So sometimes when the company scales enough, there is that option as well, where the CEO decides someone else needs to lead this company to take it to the next level because I'm not that kind of person. I think we saw it even with uh, with Joe from WP Buffs. I believe he was CEO, now is no longer CEO, but it was his decision to bring in someone else to take on that role, take the company to the next level, and he took on Sort of a sort of a lesser role to a certain extent, but still just as important for the entire company because he knows he's better in that role, and someone else can can take on the more the higher leadership role. Yeah, that's true, and there are a lot of good examples of doing that. I think that the the founder case is unique because they can volunteer to to do this. The situation that I think is best is one in which you're using the most modest title that you can get by with. And then as the company grows and the needs change, increasing that like new levels of hierarchy and introducing new titles above. And at every step of the way, you can say, okay, the company has evolved. We need another level of hierarchy. Like right now we have just one level of management, but we need another level of management to introduce uh, above that. So let's introduce a higher level title. Maybe it's director or VP or, or lead or something like that. And then we have the option as the company for all of those 
roles? Are we going to promote someone at the current level to fill that role or bring in someone with experience uh, and skills to help us at that role? And that's the same for the founder. The founder could be like, I'm just like the, I don't know, I'm the product lead or the company manager or something like that. We've used managing director here at Sandhills. Um, and it, at a certain point, if we decide to introduce like a C-suite level of hierarchy, then at that point we could say, okay, our managing director is that person the right person to become our CEO? And if so, we will promote them to CEO. If not, if the company needs a new CEO, we're not having to demote that person. They're not being forced to abdicate that role. We're just saying we need someone at a higher level and bringing that person in. And everybody else can remain unchanged. There's no demotion or anything like that. It gives you all this flexibility as a business. And it, it makes sure that everyone continues to play to their own strengths. Correct. So if your current managing director is better in a particular role and not necessarily as a CEO, then keep them there, get most out of them from there, and then see a new CEO will come in and take on that role and use their experience in that particular role to help the company grow and develop further. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've covered quite a lot today. Uh, we've gone through... <laughs> Uh, we've spoken at length on progression frameworks and compensation and also titles and hierarchy. So I think it's a pretty good basis to start off with. I'm, I'm excited for our next episode with you, Kyle. We'll talk about other things uh, such as culture and hiring and benefits, which, which we've spoken about briefly today as well. So Kyle, it was, it was great having you on. I don't know if you want to add anything else from your end. Uh, I just want to thank you for having me on this awesome show and keep doing what you're doing. You're getting some great guests and uh, this, is a, this is a cool, promising podcast. Podcasting is like the number one way that I consume, I don't know, everything about our uh, about our industry. And so definitely tune into shows like this and as much as possible. And thanks for making this great content. Thank you.